This is Jan Cox, talk number 2581, recorded September 22nd, 2000. All right, here's what I wrote, especially for the occasion. The news for you. So insists one fellow. We need insight into both our experiences and our thinking. He is half on to something. You can achieve something resembling insight into the former but not the latter. That is the uncharted and invisible, infinite-dimensioned wall of the mystics, the fact that you cannot have insight into insight. Neat, but deadly. Deadly, but liberating. You feel and you have thoughts. You feel up one day and thoughts flow quickly and life is fine. The next day you feel down and thoughts are like prickly molasses and life sucks. What does it all mean? It means that you both feel and that you have thoughts. That's what it means. <laughs> Butch and Sundance, Rasputin and Alexandria, Jekyll and Hyde, Heckle and Jekyll, the conscious and the subconscious, all of the world's great examples, not forgetting you, of unheralded, incestuous, Equipotential molecular gem jam and harmonial tango dancing. <laughs> hey, let's hear it for the band. <laughs> hey, what band? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you were actually listening. <laughs> One man says, quote, Here is my present score as I see it. When I am more awake, as I call it, and let's say I'm cutting the grass then nothing extraordinary is happening. Just me cutting the grass. But when I am dozing, as I call it, and I am cutting the grass, I don't really know what I am doing. And as soon as I become aware of this fact, I then feel momentarily miserable, even though I am, as I call it, back more awake again. Doesn't seem like you can win. Guess that was a downer, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't give you the credit that you deserve. That's one thing. You can be quiet, and being dumbfounded can pass for being pensive. <laughs> oh, somebody told me that. I never checked it out. Back to the news. What you've eaten determines where you are. The humidity determines what time it is for you. And every other possible circumstance manipulates every other possible aspect of your brain, resulting finally in what the ordinary call, with unintentioned humor, your thinking. Would anyone care to join me in a chorus of that song, There is no in, there is no out, and I'm so happy I could shout? Or was that the environment that just said that? Fact. History only goes to show the need for something in addition to history. Fact, the only thing the past does is cause the weak to become even weaker. Fact, imagination is only good for those who really need it. Semi-factual footpad. One man pictures his involvement in trying to clear his head as the only, quote, scientific activity taking place amidst an all-day fiction writer's field trip that has been going on for the last 40 years. <laughs> that one even made me pensive. <laughs> either that or it's heartburn. <laughs> a father told his son that hormones cause everything he ever experiences, and the boy asked, even sadness? Yes, replied the elder, and the boy says, then explain this. Let us imagine that I am not feeling sad, but then I see a horrific event and that then makes me sad. Hormones did not do that. The event did. Because before I witnessed the event, my hormones were minding their own business and I wasn't feeling sad. To which the father replied, ah, but reacting just so to such events is the very business of your hormones. Now let's all sing, oh, you can't get away, no, you can't get away. Inside out, outside in, inside out, makes no difference, have no doubt. Oh, you can't get away. No, you'll never get away because there ain't no other way anyway. 
The dominant party of thought in one man's mind has this motto. We don't care who you vote for as long as we count the ballots. <laughs> Nonpartisan interpretation. It doesn't matter what thoughts appear in your mind, just so long as you don't think them. The type of information sufficient to give even an uncommitted constituent a migraine. And now from my apparently inexhaustible file, headline, name of the file, yet one more way to deal with that which you find and dislike in your own mind. I call this approach passionate de minimis terminus, <laughs> whereby you patiently embrace the thing into extinction. This should be applied to the randomly appearing thoughts of all kinds and finally to the wanting to wake up phenomenon itself. Those who care to may ignore that last line. A son came vocally thus in a confessional tone to his father, quote, My hands made me do it. My hormones made me do it. My animal instincts made me do it. My unconscious mind made me do it. My molecules made me do it. My upbringing made me do it. My religious and political beliefs made me do it. Overwhelming momentary lust made me do it. Circumstances made me do it. The stars made me do it. Fate made me do it. Demonic forces made me. All right, enough already, said the old man. I get the point. Now get out of here. You're excused and forgiven. Thank you so much. So much, said the lad. That is so so understanding of you. So much. I thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you better get before I change my mind. <sighs> An absolutely hilarious comment, seeing as how both their minds were one and the same mind. One man calls his desire to awaken and get to the bottom of things by this name. The beast that never forgets, yet cannot remember worth a damn either. <laughs> I knew you'd want to know about that since it obviously has no pertinence whatsoever to any one of us. One man involved in trying to wake up, as he called it, would periodically come to himself, as he called it. At which times he would say to his mind, where have you been? And it would reply, right here. Where else could I be? How can not this simple and obvious reality not shake you out of your socks, as I call it? Confides one chap, quote, After considerable reflection on the matter, I have come to the conclusion that the idea of unconscious thought actually makes more sense than that of conscious thought. He then quickly left before anyone could question him about this. <laughs> I think I know him. And finally, one of our correspondents writes, Listening to other people talk is like throwing your mind in a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> By the way, for those of you last night, I was thinking, as I was talking last night and I was mentioning the difference between explanations and pointing out, in fact, that there were no such things as explanations until man was sufficiently atomized, driven from the garden, was sufficiently conscious, because there would be no such things as explanations, but you could see as a precursor to explanations would be the physical showing of something. And I tried to pick the example, I made it up on the spot, that the physical, the pre-conscious variation of that, or addition of that, would be, for instance, if a Guy came up, a picture of the good old cartoon caveman, and a guy came in with a wheel. And everybody looked at it, even if they couldn't figure a use for it. I'm sure they were intrigued by it. At least all the men were. You know how men are with toys. And they would look, and they would try to gesture like, you know, what is it or how you do it? Or if you brought in fire, and all they could do was only use, the only way they could use fire is if they found it already lit. And here came a guy with portable fire. But if they were not conscious at the time, they could not ask for an explanation, nor would they seek one. What they wanted, to do, wanted would to be shown how 
he managed to make a fire and keep it going and make it potable, to make it portable. And at the time, this was really going nowhere very important for how. <laughs> but last night as I was thinking about it and pointing out that they would be interested, surely. I mean, we can imagine that they would like to know, how did you do that? But if they were not conscious and could not talk, it would have to be through gestures. So they would in some way try to gesture you know, to point to the fire and maybe movement and far away. And, you know, how did you go from way off there to here? At any rate, it would have been important. But I was just pointing out, it just struck me last night at the moment, and I mentioned it, that surely then our real progenitors had to be of the Mediterranean persuasion. That is, they had to be Italian or Jewish, the first ones, to, you know, go, ah, uh, and, you know, be able to try. Right? But then later, after I left, I thought, with all, what? If they had been more, if the original ones had been more from the northern climes, like the wasp types, the British Episcopalians, think where we'd be today. <laughs> that is, the guy came in with fire, and they're kind of, you know, remember, well, I assume you've already got it. The extent of their nonverbal communication, I assume that now, here it is, 10 million years later, we'd still all be sitting around, doing the cold, wrapped in skins, eating blood pudding or something. Well, what I went ahead and say, because I was hoping, expecting some of you, and I thought you might enjoy this, that I started on Wednesday night, and I saved until tonight. It's something, I know I've said it before, but I cannot, I know this for a fact, if all of you would work just on this, it would either wake you up, it would give you a new experience, even you people, most of you have had that kind of extraordinary experience, but this is the sort of thing that I have been working on and told you about that I kept pushing years ago when I considered it was impossible and I didn't know what I was doing and never read about it. But I just kept on and on as to what actually is this. This. I mean, what the hell am I doing? What have I spent my life doing? I don't mean in a negative sense that I ask the question, but that I've, one day it finally hit me, so to speak, that as many times as I had, as the mystics, as the history calls it, been awake, been enlightened, been in that absolutely extraordinary state to where it was a point that it wasn't all that shocking. It was just almost frustrating as to why will it not abide with me permanently, as a Southern Baptist would say. And then I just started pushing on the fact of I don't really know what it is. Now I realize nobody does. Now I realize if anybody says they understand what this is, even at best, if they had ever been in that state, they'd only been there one time, and after that they went out of their mind. That is, they reverted back to ordinary pretense. They went back to ordinary stupidity. I simply was struck that no one knows what it is, and then I realized no one will ever know what it is. Because most people do not realize even, no offense to you, but I know from talking to enough people that have had the experience, and I've been through it myself longer than you were, if we were going to use me as a gauge, which is all I have to use, that it took a long time before I fully, fully understood that every bit of this is in your mind. Nowhere else. I know it appears I'm staying here talking about it. I apparently write about it and I apparently put it on the internet and apparently many, many people all over the world apparently read it every day and are apparently touched by it. And There's really no such thing. All of this is entertainment. It's a distraction. It's something... It's not that much different than if you were out at a movie or reading a book. You have thrown your mind into a vacuum cleaner. It just, it just so happens that I am not your standard brand. <laughs> but all of this, all of this is in your mind, and I know that's easy to say, and I know that you may, by now, your own mind may go, yeah, 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 which if you get to it, you ought to slap the piss out of it. We're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've never pointed that out specifically. But anytime your mind, whatever your personal variation, mind is yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, some of you are not necessarily that sarcastically wired. But whatever any version your mind has that you hear something, you read something, especially, let's say from me, and it, about this, and your mind goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Believe me, your mind does not know what it's talking about. In the same way I point out, someone would not 
like the person that emailed me and had a fit about how long-winded I was in these writings of the Daily News. <laughs> that what I, that, that they said, I got the point that you made to the first sentence. Now I kept on reading, and my God, are you windy? <laughs> that the point was perfectly clear the first sentence. Why did you go on? For those of you who hadn't heard it on tape, I already said this. Do you understand? And me and other people, I am certainly not the point in this, but do you un does everybody understand what that? If your mind goes, yeah, yeah, and does any criticism of what it heard, even I, with the preface, with the introduction, like, listen, I understood what you meant. I got the full, I mean, as soon as I read it, I went, oh, exactly, yeah. And then you went on and on and on and on, and it, it was just wasteful. The person didn't understand anything. If your mind has any, you know, the baby version, the way I used to try to slip people into it, is to say, if your mind has any criticism of anything that it understands, it doesn't understand it. But better than that, the real version is, if your mind has a comment about anything. Because if I said something, and again, I'm not the point. If you read something, if somebody read something, and whatever, quote, understand it means. I think we all have our own fairly commonly shared view of what that means. But that if a person, you actually read something and you understand it, we'll let it go with that. You have no comment on it. After that, there is no comment. That is what I mean by understand. That is what the reality of it is. It's when you actually understand something, that's the whole point. That is, if you're enlightened about it, if you're awake about that one subject, enough of you had the kind of experience, what has happened constructively is that you have, consciousness is no longer dependent upon thought. And once you understand something, you simply have no further comment on it. Yay or nay. It's almost as though, in a sense, it disappears from your mental radar screen. It's just gone. So, to have any comment, like, yeah, 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 I understand that, your response should be, no, 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 you don't. That is to yourself. This one thing is to look over your shoulder. To look over the shoulder of thought. I've, right now, I assume some of you know it just to give me somewhere to start talking. Uh, the so-called field of Cognitive neuroscience, uh, right up to contemporaneous days, someone in the field pointed out, and not by their lonesome by any means, but they recently pointed out that they found that based upon, given the amount of information that we now have of the human brain through all the technology, all the machinery, but given the knowledge we have of the brain, this writer said this, that it was truly surprising, and he underlined it, it was truly surprising how little access we have to the actual workings of our mental processes, that given the copious amount of new information, mapping of the physiology, the morphology of the human brain, we still sit, this is them talking, their field, they still look at the brain and have almost no understanding of the mental process. That, in spite of the fact, uh, I don't want to beat this to death, but it's, I'm sure all of you know, uh, the mapping of the brain, the understanding, in a sense, of the physiology of the brain itself, the anatomy and physiology of the brain is such that they have it down to very small. In some cases, they're down working at the cellular level. But in areas that affect uh, not only speech, that they know exactly, but there are certain areas that will hit speech and will knock out, according to them, I accept it, that certain sp areas within the speech areas that will knock out a man's understanding of verbs and leave nouns. I mean, it's down to that level. It's down to the level that they know that you can lose recognition of faces 
even your brother or sister, mother or father, and yet still have recognition from the neck down. That if they put their fight, you know, hand over it, it's to that degree that they just down to detailed knowledge of the brain excel. They admit, no matter how they try. Think about the way you put it. I liked it. I put the emphasis on it, but I knew what he was saying because I'd, he said it is truly, and I could just see him. Because I think he started to say astounding, shocking, you know, which would have been sort of a negative reflection on his profession. But he said it's truly surprising how little access, direct access, direct knowledge after all of this that we still have of our own mental processes. That, and along with, in fact, I was going to say the area of linguistics, but uh, there are people now who are involved in cross-pollinization of the neurosciences and linguistics. But at any rate, they are now linguistics area, uh, interested in the same thing, and they are wrestling futilely with a problem, as they put it, a question that's this is what is the source of the thoughts that are the source of human speech? That, somebody already reacted, but that, I could, if I could give you the best present on my deathbed, I'd say, just work on that. Of course, I've done it to you in my own way years ago. What are you going to say next? I'm still somewhat pissed. <laughs> well, I used to say disappointed, but I got new. I guess enough of you know. I'm more inclined to get pissed and disappointed. <laughs> Doesn't prove anything, but I just... That people do not, as soon as they hear that... I mean, our kind of people and go, what am I going to say next? That should either wake you up... Or, I don't know, make your linguistic equipment, brain-wise and even physiological in the throat. I just picture some sort of horror movie. Like just suddenly your throat begins to maybe vibrate and the smoke comes out and you see your brain begin to rattle. And either you become just absolutely wide awake permanently, fully, whatever that means. Or else, you know, maybe somebody from the neck up just you explode and just disappear. How can a person, a sane person, be faced with that question, which is a simple, straightforward question. What are you going to say next? What is the redeeming feature? Why is it that people do not immediately wake up, much less have their head explode? Why? Of course, if I stop here for a second and let you ponder that, that should wake you up. Yeah. It's to realize why. Because you can only realize why for a second. Because even your own mind won't put up with it. You can see why, which is almost impossible. I don't know. I keep saying that. Such things. Uh, there's another view that I bring up sometimes, which I mean more than metaphorically, is from one view, I say that everyone, they're not awake, not in the sense we mean, but I say that the whole world, speaking of the six billion ordinary people, they know damn well what's going on. The six billion people on this planet that have no interest, you know, they're not here. I mean, God knows they don't have that many empty chairs anyway. But... <laughs> I say that the six billion people, all ordinary people, if they were sitting here in some way, were listening to me talk. Or if I just had them in a conversation and we were just chatting about the strange things you read about in science magazines or this and that. And I said, you know, I read something, uh, or I heard a guy make a speech, and he said that the most amazing fact that he ever considered was the fact that no one realizes what they're going to say next. No one knows. And if I looked at one by one, the six billion people on this planet, I say, assuming that they were listening, I had their attention for a minute. Just We were just talking to a bus stop or in a coffee shop sitting next to each other. And I said, is that weird or what? I say that every human on this planet, you know, look off for a second. And they fucking well know what I said. They look off and they're mine. I say they. They're mine. The thing that is considered by linguists and the neuroscientists. To be the source, in general, in total, the source of human speech is in the brain somewhere. Some combination of errors, but the source is in there. And so I present all ordinary people. I say, I've read, a guy said that none of us realize what we're going to say next. Is that spooky? Is that weird? You ever thought about that? 
Then I stop and sip my coffee and let him look off. I say that for a split second, everybody's brain, everybody's mind, fucking well wakes up. <laughs> they know the truth just as clear as hell. For a split second, they know, God damn, weird doesn't cover that. <laughs> and it's all over. What is he going to do? <laughs> Under any conditions that I can conceive of, there is no way that the mind, let me rephrase it, there is no way that our mind under ordinary conditions or the ordinary mind of ordinary people, there is no way that it can do any more than just get a glimpse of that. The absolute, inarguable reality of the fact that I don't know what I'm going to say next. And right there at that split second, of course the real version of as always, I'm so kind-hearted and worried about everyone's sensibilities and bruising you prematurely. You know, I gave you the thing, nobody knows what they're going to say next. You know, the real one, the big-time version, is nobody knows what they're going to think next. But I gave that a lot of deep thought before I decided which one to say. You know, it was like a split second. I do. It always do. And I, I realized, no, nah, don't, don't tell people that no one knows what they're going to think next. Tell people no one knows what they're going to say next. Because then it's as though you have stiff-armed the problem, that you have stood away a bit like, well, nobody knows what they're going to say next because I challenge you. See if I'm not right. Check for yourself. What you say, you do not ordinarily take to be synonymous with what you think. Now, perhaps if I ask you to ponder it for a second or if I just made the statement, well, what we think and what we say are the same thing. It may not be the same words, but what we say is simply an overt manifestation. It's just an overt version of what we think. It is some thought we had behind every sentence we have. And so you say, yeah. But now notice, no one thinks in that manner. In other words, if I say no one's what... The reason I'm stopping here for a minute, this to me, again, is the same sort of thing that if we lived... In a better world. <laughs> That's the very kind of sentence, this one idea, would either wake you up or make you think, you know, screw this shit. And you'd leave. And try your best not ever think about it again, which would make it worse. But... It's worse than giving up alcohol. I was going to ask you to check with yourself. Uh, now I'll get off that one part. It was a side trip. To tell someone, to tell yourself, for you to hear the idea and consider it, the first idea that no one knows what they're going to say next is not the same as no one knows what they're going to think next. The latter, if you're faced with that, if I said, now seriously, I want everyone right, right now to give it your absolute best mental monkey grip think about this. No one knows what they're going to think next. And I said, all right, wait a minute. Let's try this. We'll get back to that, but let's try it. No one knows what they're going to say next. I say to you, surely you can feel it. The second one, you feel like, well, you know, maybe I can do something with that. But the first one, nobody knows what they're going to think next. If I throw that on you, on your own mind, and you are not, the, you individual are not the point, but if you put that on the mind, no one knows what they're going to think next. You don't know what you're going to think next. It's like you're just whipped before you start. It's like, I don't know, some sort of Olympic event, like a race, and everybody else is already gone, and there you stand as soon as you hear it. And maybe worse than that, you look down, and somebody's cut you off at the ankles. Well, there's just nothing to do. You just confront the mind. No one knows what they're going to think next. What do you think? <laughs> but if you say, ponder this, no one knows what they're going to say next. Am I not right? And you go, well, you know, that's, sort, that's sort of interesting. And it, seem, it seems like the kind of perhaps intellectual challenge that, by God, wait a minute. Makes you want to scratch your chin and look you know, as intelligent as some of us can and go, you know, that's interesting. The first one's not interesting. The first version, I have never found anybody that found that interesting. If I told them that, to say, do you realize you don't know what you're going to think next? I have never in my life, including you people, and of course, I didn't do, pull that on you en masse as the original version, but I have never told anyone that, 
and their reaction be, damn, that's interesting. It's been down sometimes. It wasn't followed by interesting. But the other one, you can get people to consider. Do you realize that no one knows what they're going to say next? You know why? In fact, well, it's obvious. Because they can go ahead and think about the fact that no one knows what they're going to say next. But if you say no one's going to think next and they actually try to figure it out, you're a dead man. And, of course, if they were our kind of person, if you were a walking dead man, you'd be awake. That's what I meant. It'd either wake you up or put you in some sort of mental gridlock. But back to the main course. I can just hear them, and you you people surely are as well read about common science, just public arena as I am, that it is not, they've coined the whole term, as far as I can tell, of cognitive neuroscience to cover the expanded or the reconsideration in psychology and neurology of trying to deal with actual consciousness, the mind, rather than just the physical operations of the brain. But they express, the whole field expresses surprise, bewilderment, that no matter how much new information, how much more detailed mapping of the human brain they have available and put the information together from different areas, different experts, that they still admit, as they say with a great deal of wonder, why we still have apparently no more direct access, no more insight into the workings of our own mental process than we did 5,000 years ago, five years ago, that it seems to be making no difference whatsoever. And then the linguist, and some of them, as I said, working in conjunction with the neuroscience, neuro, cognitive neuroscientist. You know, this got started some decades back uh, when it began to strike people, which I don't know why it didn't before, that there seemed to be something built in, an almost built in, more than an inclination, like a built in template for language, that you could take a child that was uh, born to a Chinese family, pull him out and drop him amongst Greeks, and he'd speak. He'd start speaking Greek just as soon as an ordinary Greek child would speak Greek, or an ordinary Chinese child would have been speaking Mandarin back in the old country. It just became obvious. I mean, just apparent. You don't even have to be an expert that something is sort of curious. Those of you that's had children or been around them. Uh, Picking up language is even a more efficient process than learning how to walk because children do not stumble that long. They say a few words and before you know it, and not just speech, but they can understand that, that there is some kind of built-in understanding of syntax. That you don't teach a child what later means. Back to one of mine, I still think if you sit and think, how do I understand what later means? That would wake you up. <laughs> Especially I like quite if you had to show somebody like a kid. But even <laughs> Well the the example is well founded because very shortly, as soon as a child can speak at all, beyond the mama dada stage, as soon as he or she is beginning to put together any sort of sentences and you can speak to the child and they can say something like, When do we eat? And just they're just barely speaking. And the parents, of course, people are delighted and parents are not trying to study this matter. But just almost immediately, the parent, an adult, can say, later, or when daddy gets home. And the kid will go, okay. That's astounding. And if you ask the kid, can you define to me what later means? Hell, an adult can't describe. In fact, it's one of those that turns even a British Episcopalian's into Italians because if you tried to find the word, you have to go, well, later means, you know, you have to start gesturing like, well, you know. <laughs> no, what's it mean? <laughs> Some other time. Of course, then you got them if they start that shit. But anyway, of course, the real thing is do it yourself and then you got you. 
the point is, I'm just going to say that they started with, that there was something, there is something that denies, that belies any sort of logical scientific investigation as linguists knew it, or as psychologists knew it, or know it now. How do you explain the ability to speak? And of course, the obvious one is, and that even the linguists and even the cognitive neuroscientists and all ordinary people, if you ask them, how do you speak? Once they understand you don't mean but just the vocal cords, you go, no. How, how, do we, how do humans speak? How does words come out of our mouth? Sentences. How, do, how are we able to convey information that makes sense? Then everybody's answer has been, well, we think about it. Somewhere in our brain, we formulate a sentence. We have an idea that we want to convey to someone, and we put it in a form. We're English-speaking. Of course, we put it in English, and we use the kind of syntax that is... Uh, proper to the English language as opposed to some other languages, the uh, order of verbs and uh, nouns are different, and etc. But thought is behind it, except according to the views of the professional linguist, but as I said, any ordinary human, if they thought about it, it can't be explained. There is no way to explain, or the, the explanation does not fit, is not adequate to say the very least, to be charitable. The explanation is not adequate to say, well, the speech comes from thought. That somewhere in the brain, wherever it is that we're formulating thought, or maybe a specialized area, but in the general, considered to be in the cortical areas, of, where thought, conscious thought, seems to originate more or less, that somewhere in there is either a specialized area or some combinations that that area then turns thought into speech. Because I said, you don't have, need to be an expert. All you got to be is my kind of person. Still be hanging around listening to me. And you've got enough information. You don't have to go to school. It just takes a second to consider, uh-uh. And even, as I said, the professionals, of course, in their case, based upon numerous statistical studies, they realize it didn't fit. Because then you're left with... What's the origin of thought? Because it doesn't answer anything to say, well, the origin of language is thought. And if you go, well, okay. I mean, well, what else could it be? It's not beating my heart doesn't make me talk. The percolating of my kidneys, assuming they percolate, that's not the source, it's the brain. It's, it's, it, thought is the source of speech. And I'm sure they tried to live with that for a while. <laughs> Until you know, somebody trying to come up with a new doctoral topic. That's what upsets many things, I understand. <laughs> Thought, well, let's see. What would be a question? They go, oh, well, how about this? Just, I'll just throw this out to you. What's the origin of thought? And I'm sure, you know, after everybody in the department got through beating up on the kid, who was you know, stomping him the floor, trying to shove toilet paper in his mouth to shut him up. <laughs> At any rate, we're getting we're getting to the point, aren't we? Maybe. Here it is. We're not, as you know, relying. I'm not relying, and this is not relying upon what goes on out in the mundane world amongst professional people in psychology or any field. But I could not resist, since they are now formulating the question dead on. Why they say? And ordinary people would agree if they listened and were interested enough. Why, after all we know, after all of the studies we have done on even going finally, graduating from rats and rabbits and gophers to humans, all of the studies we've done, now all of the MRIs and all the different machines and the way we can see the blood flow, what we know about the human brain is staggering. Down, as I said, they're down, in some cases, working at the one cell level, one neuron, they're down to that level in some cases. After all of that, why can we not see into any depth? Why can we not see what is behind consciousness? What is behind the ability to speak? And of course, long before Freud, you know, the idea of an unconscious mind had been around for thousands of years, and as I suggested, even... Uh, mythology, much of religion, you can see as an attempt of the mind, if we separate the mind from the motivation of life itself, 
that that is the mind's it was it's attempt to help explain some of this. I mean, the whole idea of God, the whole idea of a creator, in one sense, I can see quite clearly, was people long ago that one way or the other, some people's minds began to wander into the kind of area that I bring up and that I say that if I present it to an ordinary person, they see it just for a split second and then they can't deal with it. I say that the idea that the mind came up with of a creator was a quite agile way out that the mind simply picked out like God, Allah, some great cosmic force, even the Big Bang, same thing. Well, not the same kind of people are interested in it, I should say. But anyway, to pick out, and the mind, of course, working literally, that to pick out some spot way back when, I mean, back before we can remember, God said, Allah said, somebody, Vishnu said, let there be man, let there be life, and that was it. Case closed. Problem solved. Not that ordinary people, as we know, go around worrying about this, that that's a topic of conversation out at bars and the cocktail parties, as far as the source of consciousness or where do we come from. But if the, if the occasion does arise, you go, well, right, read your Bible, read the Koran, read the Vedic literature, that, well, God said, let there be so-and-so. So it's, you picked out an, an imaginary place. The mind made it up, an imaginary place, and they called it God. That one day God said, what the hell? I'll create man. So it's, you have imagined the infinite, that is the unknowable, and you put up a faux wall. You put up a faux beginning. I'll try again to get back to the main topic. Or my main point. We now are living in a time. Not this important. I couldn't resist saying that. We're now living in a day when even ordinary people, people not interested in matters like this directly, many well-educated professional people in the aforementioned areas of science now express a constant bewilderment that even after, even given all of the detailed scientific, physical information we have about the human brain, human speech, why we have no more insight into our own mental workings than we ever did, which is nil. They just don't like to say that, but it's nil. And they say, why? Well, I started to say it was originally the idea of the subconscious uh, was another explanation of it that in the Western world, Greeks, and but the idea that there are things going on, and scientifically, from the physiological, medical view, that uh, still, of course, there's much going on. In fact, our, the most of our life is governed by subconscious operations, information coming to the brain that we don't consciously. And here I am leaning over this thing and putting one foot behind another, and you sitting there keeping upright. You keep your balance not through conscious operations of the brain. It's what's going on below the level of consciousness, which I keep pointing out. What goes on at the level of consciousness is way overrated. And I, again, as I am wont to do, I'm being, I consider to be very charitable in that statement. <laughs> but that's what you are when you're a thinking human being. The mind, if you're going to talk about self-promotion, friends, <laughs> Do forget P.T. Barnum and Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. Do forget all that, the human mind. But even now, I see that it keeps popping up. That they say, well, perhaps the, the scientists now, I mean, it's nothing new. We know how much. They know how much that I'm able to walk right now as I'm talking. Make hand gestures. Keep my balance. Lean against the wall. Pick up that glass of water. I don't do that consciously. But that is the heart. If it were not for what's going on, quote, subconsciously in our brain, the information that's processing subconsciously, we couldn't live. You'd kill yourself. That is the life-sustaining force compared to thought. Is why I wrote that little news line that one guy said that the way he looks at it now he finds the idea of subconscious thought actually more 
expansive and explanatory than the idea of conscious thought. Of course, then he split before, you know, so I pointed out for him, I could ask him about it and left me here <laughs> not to pick it up. The idea of it coming from a subconscious level, at first sounds good, except for this. You're back where you started. That wasn't worth going into, was it? <laughs> well, you're back where you started. I mean, it's the same thing as saying, well, how do we know how to speak? How does it seem to be so natural? How do we speak so effortlessly? How can people who have not met, who do not know what they're going to say, can engage in a conversation, and it's almost like a uh, violin duo. It's almost like they're doing a prearranged dance. So one person knows to say, ba 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 and then they stop, and the other person goes, ba 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 It's like a, a duet out of an opera. How does it happen? And then your answer is, the obvious answer is, well, the mind. That part of the consciousness, that conscious part of the brain that we call thought is behind speech. And so, speech, we don't just open our mouth. Speech is not run by our vocal cords, by the larynx. Our thoughts fuel, control, direct our speech. Which sounds fine to you. go, well, what directs, controls our thoughts? <laughs> That's when people look at their watch and go, hey, you know, that's not my area. <laughs> I'm only in charge of carburetors. you got to say somebody else about you know, transmissions. It's the same thing about the subconscious. At first it sounds good because it sounds as though it has no theological, no philosophical trappings to it. Because you say, well, conscious thought, obviously, was up here in the brain and you're a part of the brain. And so it's obviously, it's being fueled. It is a... It's a more conscious, it's a verbalized or a verbalizable form of what's going on at subconscious levels. But the information is so important to us individuals at the time that what we call conscious thought is subconscious activity that of necessity begs to be heard, demands more attention, so it becomes conscious. And that sounds fine until you go, well, where's the subconscious activity? How does it know which ones to come up with? That's when people start getting royally pissed if you have that kind of lineage. Here we are. I say to you, after all of that, did I set it up sufficiently? I'll have to reverse my use of Henny Youngman. He would be ashamed of me <laughs> that I spent 55 minutes in the setup. <laughs> He never, he never told his joke, including the setup and the punchline, that ever took 55 seconds. So, there's one possibility that's exactly what I've been trying to talk to you people about for the last two years, which was my payoff, or one of them, the first one, for my going on against what I considered more or less to be impossible, that it couldn't be done. The mind understands itself once I fully understood that. Hey, what I call awakening, what I just casually go, oh, being awake, being enlightened, until I ask, what is, what is that? I don't know. Now I realize, well, hell, nobody knows. Now I realize nobody can know because it's the mind. I thought, yeah, but look at, I've had a lifetime of studying my mind. Look how much information I have to go on, to build on. Until I looked and I thought, yeah, none. <laughs> Oh, a whole lot of ideas, a whole lot of things I've written about. You know, shit, I could fill up a house trailer with what I've written by now on that one subject. And it means, well, nothing. Nothing compared to reality. It means whatever it means, but it, compared to reality, it means nothing. So, <laughs> there's one possibility. Why cannot even scientists, with all the technology we have, with all that they know down to just unbelievably, as I said, down to the cellular level into the operations of the brain that manifests itself in ways that we can see. Does everybody know that they now have found out? It was nothing new, but somebody finally put it together that the motor activity that directs hand gestures is right next to the area of the brain that produces speech. I don't know why it took people so long to... <laughs> I only read that in the last couple of years that somebody just finally realized and it made me feel
So the experts, the experts say quite rightly, in a bewildered and in a tone that they're trying to convey to others, rightfully so. And the public, the other six being non-experts who might be answered for a moment, should be equally nonplussed by the whole idea of why. How can it be that we have still what in essence amounts to no insight whatsoever into our own mental operations? We can go on and on and fill up page after page. You can spend four or five years majoring in psychiatry, neurocognitive neurology nowadays, that it takes that long to even come to grips with the physical evidence they have now about the brain. And yet, when they hand you your doctoral degree, your postgraduate degree in any science, neuroscience, you have no more, if you have any sense at all, you have no more understanding, no more insight into the mental operations of the human mind than a guy off the street. It's a simple fact. And some of them are beginning to express it. Of course, they throw in, isn't it amazing? Which leaves, which leaves like, there's something we're not catching. There's something yet to be discovered. There is something that perhaps even is, de- is escaping our scientific view through all this technology. And they're even playing around the idea that consciousness, that the source of thought is not as local as we used to think, that it is not simply coming from the frontal lobes. That it may be a combination, it's some sort of network, and they're trying to drag in all kinds of possibilities, like the Internet. There's all kinds of inputs from all over. There's one possibility that no one, of course they can't, there's one possibility, in fact, one solution, one answer to all of those questions. One. Well, I don't know how much more obvious it can be. Salt looks over its shoulder and there's nobody there. That's it. That was the punchline. I assume you people know I'm not being funny. I didn't do this for a laugh. They ask themselves fervently, ardently, professionally, what is behind, what is the source? What is behind our conscious human thought and why can't we see it? Well, there's your answer, sir. What's behind it and why can't we see it with all we know? Hello? You just said it. You just passed over the possibility. Knowing apparently almost everything could be known about the human brain, and after all these years of humans being civilized, and after all the modern-day technological advances and statistical studies we've done, why can we, looking at human, the mental operations of the human brain, why can we not see any deeper? Why can we not see past thought itself? We can ask people, what are you thinking? They have to stop and they tell us. And many of them are even now beginning to suspect well, when you stop and ask them about what they think and they try to tell you, even if it's college students and you're paying them $10 an hour and they're trying to tell you the truth, you know, something, something's probably getting lost. <laughs> and so they're saying, why can't we get past whatever we can observe, that we can study, that somebody tells us? Of course, they never turn on themselves, which is what we, should, we do if you're my kind of mystic, really. It's just you're the laboratory, it's not anybody else. It's why can't I ever look past that? I, I've been collecting information. Of course, this is me talking some years back. You know, I've been collecting all this information, as far as I can tell. You know, not a matter of humility or otherwise. At that time, I thought, well, from my view, as far as I can practically see in life, I understand more about the human thought and human mind than anybody I ever read about. I just knew I did more than... Psychiatrists, neurosurgeons, everybody, they're not even interested in it. So I realized I understood more. I have studied it more and more and more and more and more. But then I thought, well, there's one, there's one point past which I can't see. Which sounded nice. It made it sound like, well, I, I've discovered you know, this whole new, more complex jungle, this new area of investigation. And so I thought, wait a minute, it's not some kind of, oh, wait a minute, there's this one area. 
Now that the more I get into this, and after having spent a lifetime working on this problem, I now see it in greater depth. <laughs> and I can see some of the complexity behind what I already know. Horseshit. I suddenly realize there is no depth to the problem to begin with. I'm talking about none. Not metaphorical none. Not an allegorical little bit. None. Is anybody ever going to consider that possibility? Even if I just say it's a possibility. Why doesn't... Well, you should find that interestingly useful. That You know that no human, no ordinary human, will ever consider the possibility of... Why is it that we can't see any... We, we just can't see any doubt. We can't get any view into... We, we get a view into the human brain... We get the view of the brain of how it affects motor behavior, speech, memory, recognition of people, speech, hearing, music, mathematics. But if we just say to ourselves, all these areas, a man, this brain right here, we can measure what it's doing when we say, do a mathematical problem. And MRI, whatever the machine is now, they can, they know, they can tell you beforehand that the blood flow is going to start showing up. There's going to be greater neural activity. And, and then pinpoint the area with the guy's head down there in the machine. They go, or they look on the screen and say, we ask him to do a math problem, and it'll show up there. And it will. And then they say, all right, now we'll ask him if he can uh, hum part of Stars and Stripes forever. And if he does, if he says, yeah, it'll show up over here. They can do all of that, but then they're left with saying, but us knowing all of that, and we know where thought will pop up. We know the area of the brain where thought pops up. Why can't we look at this thing? We've had it taken apart, dissected, measured. Why can't we look past where the thought is and go, well, how did it get here? Where, where's it coming from inside the brain? Or what areas? What combination? I mean, it's, it's so perplexing, they say. I say to them, kind sirs and madams, there's an obvious answer to the problem. <laughs> Except what I was going to say, you realize that's not an obvious answer. No one's ever going to go, well... What if the reason we can't see behind you know, human thought or what's behind it is <laughs> there's nothing behind it? <laughs> right, yeah, write a paper on that. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll damn sure get a first-class grant off of that one, yeah. <laughs> but there it is. From one view, I've been saving it. That is my gift to you. That's what I, after these... I can start my postgraduate work the last several years. That's it. Make your thoughts look over their shoulder. Forget this making them study themselves. I mean, I've been through all that, and I've, I keep trying to trick you. The same way I had to trick me. I don't mean because you're stupid and I have to trick you. God, you don't know what I went through. Make, a, make, your, make your thoughts look over their shoulder. Don't ask them where they came from. Don't ask, you know, why, do you, why does that kind of thought pop in my head? How is that connected with my upbringing? How is that connected with, you know? Just make your thoughts look over their shoulder. There's nothing back there. I'll end with my version, my new version of a quite honorable proverb. That behind every great man <laughs> is a great nothing. Because <laughs> I assume you all know the, the original behind every great man is a great woman. And there's been others behind every great king is a great prime minister and etc. Behind every great mind is a great nothingness. And the real, the last one, my advanced version, I'll go ahead and give it to you, is behind every great thing. But remember, things only exist in the human mind. Behind every great thing, or if you like, concept, idea, is a great universal, may I say, nothingness. And you have every question the basis of all confusion, uncertainty, is answered. And I don't mean theoretically. 
<laughs> that is, I'm no final word on anything of definitions, since there are none, but I would say that that is the definition of an awakened mind, an enlightened mind. That you simply realize there's nothing behind this. There's nowhere to look. There's nothing to analyze. My mind said it. Yeah. Same time, I, I just heard a dog fart. And my mind just says, well, part of, the, part of that kind of philosophical argument, but I can see certain, I can see certain redeeming aspects of existentialism or the Christian Democratic Party's view of, yes, plus I, I can hear a dog fart also. <laughs> And I, can, and I can hear my mind think these weighty thoughts. And of course the truth, I'm not being crude on purpose, but the truth is there's actually more behind a dog fart or your, or your, your own, your own ill wind than there is the best thought you'll ever have. There's more substance to it because something physically was behind you engaging in flatulism. That something actually nourishing that you digested got in your body. Something that prolonged your life probably for at least a second if it was just one bean. But the greatest thought you ever had did what? Of course, I'm glad I'm not talking to ordinary people. They would suddenly look off and begin to reminisce of all their great thoughts. About, ah, if you but knew. Ah, uh, but I do not. <laughs> that concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.